welcome to another episode of the Spurs 2016 podcast, North Ireland 2, Cyprus 2. It's Andy Bell, it's Stuart Cherry, and it's Ben Harshaw. And Stuart, will come to you first because everyone's just as sick of Ben as we are with Kyle Lafferty <laughs> at the moment, being in all four post-match pods. Um, you're probably all sick of me as well, but we've got you on for the first time. Uh, so we'll get your thoughts a bit on on the, um, the international break as a whole, to be honest, Stuart. I think, you know, there were plenty of negatives in the first three games. Then... Today's arguably her best performance. We've drawn two all at home to Cyprus. Like it, it, it feels like a low, doesn't it? Andy, I think um, for me, it, it really is. We talked about it before recording. Um, glimpses back to the Nigel Worthington era, um, in the sense that there just seems to be a malaise. There just seems to be negativity, and there doesn't seem to be anything to get excited about. I've listened to to, to Ben plug away as as Kyle has done over the last four games. Um, and, 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 it's, and it's the hope rather than expectation. Like we're going into these games, and I've seen some of the comments, not expected to beat Greece or not expected to beat Kosovo. And maybe I'm an internal optimist, but I keep thinking, well, we should be. Mm-hmm. We absolutely should be going into these games at home against teams who are not much better than us, expecting something. But it's been desperately, desperately disappointing. Um, one shot on target, in the first 70 minutes today, that was a Kyle Lafferty rasper that went straight down um, uh, the, the middle. Bear in mind, this is a keeper playing in his first international. Second division of the Cypriot League, by the way. I mean, this is absolutely horrendous. You know, the, the keeper against in Kosovo, again, their second choice goalkeeper. And we're putting them under no pressure. We're, we're forcing no shots. And to me, overall, the thing that has been most disappointing and We've all got stats that are coming out of our, our ears in terms of how bad it's been and how desperate it seems. But it's been the lack of creative spark during the main points of the game. Yeah, Kosovo, the last 10 minutes, we threw the kitchen sink at them. The game here, yeah, we had glimpses in the last sort of 20 minutes, we threw the kitchen sink. But we didn't create that much, really. And I think if you were to really condense the last any positivity that we've had out of the last four matches is looking at Paddy McNair's finish for the first goal. Have you ever seen a worse finish? Have you ever seen life? worse defending, by the way? Well, I'm that's convinced true. somebody slipped that separate defender, Brian Envelope, at halftime because that was just hilarious. That's true. I mean, to me, that is the, the biggest the, the biggest problem. And I think Ben can go into this in a second. This is his favorite topic about Barraclough. But I know he's going to have to come out and say positive words. He's going to have to you know, try to rally the troops and put on a brave face, but it's desperately disappointing and it's very, very worrying that if we're only able to scrape a 95th minute equaliser against Cyprus at home. Yeah, it it papers over the cracks, doesn't it, Ben? Um, Or maybe it doesn't even because there were still booze at full time despite the kind of rallying and usually when you've you've been 2-0 down albeit not against Cyprus but usually when you're 2-0 down you get it back to 2-2 it feels like a win simultaneously if you were 2-0 up and the other team gets it back to 2-2 it feels like a defeat it, it it was slightly more positive for me today in terms of performance we were getting the ball in better areas more easily now I don't know if that's uh, endemic of how bad Cyprus are because I thought Cyprus were absolutely brutal in that game from start to finish um, you know their their goals are, are from mistakes of ours and we'll get into that a little bit later but as much as at halftime I thought it was a little bit better and I thought we'd, we'd done better I looked at it and as, as Stuart says it was a Davis 30 yard shot um, on the volley it was a Lafferty 
25 yard shot um and then a couple of a couple of weak penalty shots i didn't think there were penalties personally you may have a different uh, take on that but when you actually condense it down can you think of like many sitters we missed in that game or many massive chances we created it, in terms of chance creation it was the same as the other three games more or less no, it was. It was more of the same. Our, our, our build-up play our build up play was better. Our passing was better. Our tempo was a little bit better. Um, but no, we didn't create chances. At, at the end of the day, we were we were 1-0 down at halftime. Having been shaded it, I would say, being just about the better team. But we didn't create the chances. They did, and they scored. You know, And also, they missed. They missed. I mean, they just failed to connect with one just before they scored. Yeah. That, that really they should have, and it could have been 2-0 at halftime. Um, you say did a paper over the cracks. I, I don't think you could cement over those cracks at this minute in time. I mean, it's it's abysmal. I, I think I think what what the biggest problem going into this going into this um, four game. You know, as we've said before, it's not ideal. You're playing in June. You're four games, whatever. But uh, I feel like taken away from anything he's done tactically, taken away from, you know, decision-making or the actual results. I feel like your manager has put too much pressure on those players and on himself by saying that he, he wants, you know, 12 points. Would, would many of us, realistically, as much as it, it would have been possible to get 12 points, but would it, have, have we ever seen Northern win four games in a row? Um, would, would we have expected it? No. So you, you go in there and you say, you know, I, exp- I want to get a positive thing, but you're setting yourself up for failure and then you're, you're just going to have people saying, oh, you said you're getting 12. So, you know, unless you're, <laughs> unless the only way to come out of that is by getting 12 and it's very unlikely. Yeah, I think um, Stuart, the only time, I think it was the first time we'd won four competitive games in a row was under Michael O'Neill in the start of the the his last qualifying campaign when we beat Estonia home and away and Belarus home and away. And, and certainly that that was a massive thing at the time. And to come out and, and put that expectation on him and the players, but he does that. And then after the first game, it's, it's all of the excuses. It's a long, hard season, which is the same for everyone. Uh, albeit some of our lads play in 2014 leagues and have maybe played on average five or six more games. But in the grand scheme of things, it, it doesn't really make much of a difference. And I listened to his comments. I listened to the excuse making, you know, the heat in Cyprus, blah, 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 Kosovo of a lot of good players. I mean, for me, that the difference in in, in quality that, that we supposedly have to Michael O'Neill is a little bit overstated. I, I tweeted this yesterday. Now, yes, we had a couple more players playing at the top level. Um, but we still had around about the same amount of championship players. And everyone goes on about us being a League One level side and all these League One players. I don't really see these League One players that, that are constantly getting played. I mean, I know there's been Gavin White, who who has been probably a consistent starter for us, but it's, it's one or two maximum in every game. Uh, and even then, he can choose a team of more or less Premier League and championship players. The other thing that really winds me up is people compared us to the Kosovo team the other night and said, oh, you look at, look at the leagues our players are playing in. It's, it's far better than ours. And people are massively skewed with players playing in top flights. You know, the Turkish top flight, Austrian top flight, Belgian top flight. People see these teams, standard Liège and, and this, that and the other, and say, you know, they're playing at a much higher level than our players. If you look at most metrics, and it's very hard to compare leagues, but most metrics will have the championship is at a higher level than most of the leagues outside of the top, maybe seven or eight in Europe, certainly outside the top five. Um, and I, I think our players playing championship football are playing at a higher level than, than a lot of people might think. And I think that's an excuse that doesn't really wash with me at that point. I don't know, I don't know what, what yeah, you're no, doing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think a lot of uh, football hipsters will you know, point to these teams of, of old and say like how, you know, the great the standard is, et cetera. But no, I would completely agree. Like the championship invariably is one of the most challenging leagues in the whole of Europe. 
mm-hmm. you, you, you can see that. Mitrovic has taken uh, you know Serbia to the World Cup and he's been top scorer in the championship. You yeah. know, didn't do it in the Premier League, but does it in the championship. Um, the one thing I would say, and the thing it is important just to look at where the, some of the positivities have been, because we could sit here all day and try to dissect the excuses that Barraclough has made, and maybe this is another one we talk about, transition. But if I'm looking over the four games, what has been some of the positives that I'm taking from it, you know, including, including today? Charles, Shea Charles coming in, showing that he can can step up and do a really good job. Spencer, Brody Spencer. Brilliant. Connor Bradley off the bench today, especially. He came off the bench and looked really good. I thought Jordan Thompson today, when he came off the bench, actually looked to create something. He was on the ball at all points. He was the focal point. Everything was going through him. Again, probably should have started to me today. Um, Shane Lavery again. I think you might have tweeted this, Andy. Couldn't believe that he was taken off. Yeah, yeah. Markov got booed for that at the time, didn't they? Absolutely horrendous. Um, and, and and Ballard, again, you know, Ballard to me is is, is the Johnny Evans mold. He, you know, he's intercepting the ball and sort of on the on the halfway line, he's breaking, he's bringing the ball out from the fence. Um, dangerous going forward. I think he had three chances or two chances with corners. He was getting on, on the end of it, scores the other night. Um, Barraclough can rightly turn around and say, and Connor McManaman. Again, from yeah. from an Irish league perspective, ever, Barclough can turn around and say, "Look, we rallied against Kosovo away from home. We rallied against Cyprus at home. We blooded through these new players." As Michael said in the 2018-19 Nations League, and those are all fair points. Yeah. But the reality is, you cannot make excuses for not creating chances. You cannot make excuses for terrible defending for goals. Those are things you cannot try to legislate for you pick the players you set the systems you sort the tactics but those from a negative standpoint are the ones that he cannot shirk out of shock and defend and, and really per offensively yeah completely um from the website globalfootballrankings.com who use a a um algorithm basically to to um compare the, the strength of the different leagues across the world uh, the premier league first spanish league second german third italian fourth then french portuguese dutch Brazilian, Mexican, Russian, and the English championships after that. So the English championships ahead of the Austrian league, Belgian, uh, Turkish, Swiss, uh, Danish, and yeah, Greek, Norwegian, etc., etc. People see players playing in these leagues and think they're they're much better than our lads playing in the championship. I, I just don't buy that at all as a as an argument. I think it's uh, it's a get out for 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 the manager and it's a get out for what is underperformance. And people always always point towards the overachievement under Michael O'Neill. And there's no doubt those players and that team was greater than the sum of the parts. It 100 was. But just because Michael overachieved doesn't mean that anything anything worse than that is not an under or not anything worse than that, but. Things when things are this bad is an underachievement. Right now, it's an underachievement. Right now, the team is less than the sum of its parts. It's yeah. not at the level of the players that are that is playing at. And there has been a drop off in quality, but it's not proportional at all to uh, to the drop off in performances. And and one of these things, Ben um, Stuart mentions there, Ben the bringing through the young players, and there's no doubt that he has done that. And that was his remit when he took the job. And my argument, and I think your argument as well, is that now that he's done that, he's not the right man to implement the tactics and the motivation to to, to bring those players through and actually get results with those players. Um, but Kyle Lafferty played three, started all three of the last games, played 90 minutes in one, got about 70 minutes in each of the others. Now, if he doesn't rate Dion Charles, that's fine. But 
in the last two games, Deion Charles has come on and made an impact. He seems to have, be having a little bit of bad luck in front of goal at the minute for Northern Ireland. You know, he misses a sitter over in Kosovo, I think, and he has a couple of shots today. He does, certainly doesn't look clinical, missed a couple of sitters against Hungary. He's been out of form at club level, but he wins the header today. Um, that sets up the Johnny Evans goal. He has a part in the first goal, I believe, and I think he, he sets up one of the other goals in the across the four games, or maybe that was in the previous. I think that was maybe Luxembourg away. But anyway, he's coming on. He's making an impact. He plays 59 minutes across these four games. Kyle Lafferty plays 255. Forget how long ago Kyle Lafferty scored for Northern Ireland. I can't remember the last time he had a chance for Northern Ireland, really. A big chance for Northern Ireland. Um, he is having absolutely no impact, and I love him. But he's been played into the ground, and he's not at the level right now. He's an impact sub at best for me. Yeah, no, absolutely, and 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 really, that is at best. It's you know, if if he'd be an impact sub now, and he'd be but he'd be behind Josh McGuinness in that pecking order, in my opinion. Um, you know, who obviously wasn't there and available, but um, Dion Charles to me, I, I don't understand. Now, I'm not saying he's he's Maradona by any stretch, but any time that I've seen him, he's looked lively. He's looked up for the fight, which is which is two of the two of the things that we as Northern Ireland fans really. Basic requirements, you know. He's looked like, he? He yeah. He's busy. Them, you know, he's, he he doesn't give him he doesn't give him a rest he, in terms. Of, he's quite like Shane in that way, um. And and he's made some form of an impact. It obviously hasn't turned into goals for him, but you know, while while he's creating havoc, it's creating space for other players. And and you know, at the end of the day, when he's on the on the pitch, the day we do score, um. And 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 you know, love Kyle has been wonderful for us, but. He didn't look. I was going to score in any of those games in a million years. He really, really didn't. Um, and 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 it's 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 like to me, Stuart touched upon it there. Like you you you're you're taking off Shane Lavery, who is our most likely goal scorer, to keep she or to keep Kyle on, who's just not looking like he's going to score whatsoever. And it's like I, I was pleased. I was pleased to hear the booze for that because I, I'm just thinking, like, why is the logic behind that? What is the logic behind those substitutions? You know, when when you talk about. You talk about, you know, he did his remit was to bring it through young players, and he did that. Um, there is a part of me that would say anyone, anyone taking over that job would have done that, you know, because you simply had to with with what we what we were losing. But you know, you can't you can't say he didn't, and he does deserve the credit for that. But he's still hiding behind that two and a half years later, you know. We were bringing them through, and I was accepting that, you know, the the previous Nations League campaign and and even the World Cup one to a certain extent, but. Can I yeah. say one, just thing, one thing, Andy, just on that? You know, if you, we're talking about this and we're talking about positivities and stuff, and I agree entirely with what Ben's saying about that transition, but the substitutions, I know from the previous podcast, you've said that he hasn't made good tactical choices when it's come to the subs, okay? Now, for the subs today that came on, Thompson came on, Bradley came on, McGinn came on, and Charles came on. The reality is all four of them made a difference today. You know, not instantly, but my issue would be it's the timing of Charles. Why did Charles not come on uh, for 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 Lafferty earlier? Yeah, you know. Um, well, there, there is a comment on this just before it goes out of my mind. So somebody um, said a couple of times on the Twitter. I think it was Richard uh, at a year with Jurgen. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he said basically that we can't be giving Baraclough for uh, we can't be giving Baraclough credit every game for impactful substitutes because at some point those are the players you should be starting. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that's the thing and I, I'm, I'm interested here um, sure, uh, how much do you take into into consideration 
the the players that have, have pulled out of this squad and the players that he didn't have available because I think we were having a chat and obviously Dallas is a blow. You'd like to have Cathcart there as well, but defensively, certainly in the first two games, wasn't really the issue. We were still looking solid and it was a, a lack of breaking the teams down uh, that we struggled with. Of course, we would have liked one of Lewis or Ferguson to pri- provide the balance on that left-hand side. Paddy Lane probably wasn't ready already. Uh, you know, at, at this point, of his international career to play all of those games. And then after that, you know, you're talking about Josh McGuinness and Washington. Now, only one of them starts anyway. So at absolute worst, there were you know three or four of the first team out. Today was the first time he tried Paddy McNair in midfield, and, and that made an impact. He got in areas, um, and he clearly has, is a kind of more attacking midfielder and somebody who's a little bit more positive. And that's the first time he's tried that across the four games when it's been plainly obvious that we've needed something different in midfield. Um, you know, so I don't know how much... Isn't, yeah. You know, interesting one. People yeah. go on about these 13, 14 players, but in reality, it's only really three or four maximum who would actually be in that first team. So it's not as if he's had the full squad out. No, look, I think we, we've touched on it on previous pods and it's been discussed, I think, at length by you know the, the various pundits, a lot of our ex-internationals. The big call was to get McNair in midfield. He comes into midfield today. And what, in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, there's a chance for a penalty shout. He scores a goal. He definitely looks a lot more positive. I think definitely where we were restricted, um, Dallas, of course, gives us that width. He gives us that energy. He gives us that engine. But on the right-hand side, I actually thought we were better equipped, certainly offensively. I thought Bradley and Brody Spencer gave us, you know, I thought they did a decent job there. Definitely on the left-hand side, that's where we've struggled. Uh, And I've actually thought, you know, especially watching the game today, Brown is just such a cart horse. He offers nothing uh, offensively and he's actually very suspect defensively. I think, uh, you know, in like the first half, where was it? Like about 10 minutes in, they had about three or four balls over the top where they were trying to target Brown and McMenamin because they were so far apart. So definitely, you know, if you could get a Jamel Lewis circa 2019, 2020, that would give us a bit more balance. But outside of that, Corey Evans, yeah, I think he can definitely offer a bit more width and an industry in midfield um, from from a covering ground perspective. And then it's it's Washington or McGuinness. And, you know, Washington, I think, would definitely offer a lot more than Lafferty would offer. Yeah, but again... Sorry. The, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. No, sorry. no, I'm just going to say, but the, rea- the, the reality is international football, you're never going to have your full strength squad. So it's not really, you can't really use it as an excuse yeah. because every single other team could turn around, Kosovo could turn around and say, you know, we had two players sent off against Greece, but they still managed to beat us 3-2. Yeah. So again, it's 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 it's, it's always going to happen. Um, but the, ba- the, the balance on the left-hand side for me was a definite uh, weakness over the course of the four games. I completely agree. And um, Cyprus makes six changes for today. So at worst, you know, let's talk about their strongest side. At worst, it was probably... It could have been eight players, eight of the strongest players playing on Sunday, eight of the strongest players playing today. You know, so we've had, as we say, probably at worst four of our best players out. So it, it was level playing field against them, even regardless of that. Even with, you know, with a full strength Cyprus team, most Northern Ireland teams should go out and, and win that game. Um, we'll do a few comments. Why not? I think, I think just, to, just, to touch, just to touch on what something you said before as well is I think, you know, no matter what Cyprus do, if we are able to get the best out of our Northern Ireland squad, be it with a few players missing or not, it shouldn't matter what Cyprus do, because if we're getting the best out of our players, especially at home, we should be comfortably beating Cyprus. Um, and I think that's the that's the biggest difference. It's hard. I don't want to always keep comparing to Michael O'Neill, but what Michael O'Neill did was he got the absolute maximum out of that squad of players 
and here we're failing to do so. I mean, I think one of the things that alarmed me the other night is I understand that players should have a certain amount of input, particularly um, experienced and your and your your you know longer serving players. However, when he was asked the other night after um, we scored from a set piece for the first time in quite a while, I don't I don't know exactly how long, um, but he was Ian Barclough was asked about it and he said, "Oh yeah, um, that's one I let the, I let the players work on doing some set pieces themselves. Um, you know, I let them take care of that." And that concerned me because when you think you think under how many goals we scored under Michael O'Neill, um, I think you said the other day it was seventeen out of twenty something in the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you think of how you know under Nanny McPhee, how how much he was really um, you know working on that and making that such an important element from going from the attention to detail there that was producing re- results to going oh well i let the players work on that you know there's such a drop off in that and and, and it has shown because as you say it was one of our first goals in a long time from us hippies yeah no and it's spot on it's interesting i think you t- guys talked about it recently about the middle england sort of squad that we have in terms of coaching yeah. but you know, beforehand under Michael, again, you had you had Michael, you had Stephen Robinson, you'd ask me these these guys who are who are working. Stephen Robinson is working. You know, he's a manager of St Mirren now. Austin McPhee's gone on, obviously, to, to bigger and better things. Um, but I think three or four corners that we have today, uh, so we have four corners in the game, but like two of them don't get past the first man. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. the set piece in, in general, especially for McNair, is exceptionally poor. Mm-hmm. Exceptionally poor. Um, Ballard can offer a bit more of a threat. You know, he's not six foot four like Gareth McCauley, but he does offer a threat. Johnny off, Johnny Evans offers a threat. But it, it doesn't even matter if it's coming from from our free kicks, even our crosses. They're not beating the first man. Yeah, like some of them is that, and that is the bit that I'm struggling to get my head around. You're seeing people. Conor McMenon had a brilliant cross in. I think it was maybe about 12 minutes in. Really good cross in from the left-hand side. Um, dangerous, purposeful. Brody Spencer, again, I think probably one or two minutes later, again, really good cross in. No one's on the end of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, there, there's an issue, I think, in, in terms of men in the box from these crosses as well. You know, either we're crossing from basically on the touchline where the statistics will say there's hardly any goals scored from crosses right in the touchline. Or if we do get in good areas, we're aiming for one man. The one chance we have in Cyprus last week, if you go and watch it back and watch the, the you know, if, if you want to exhaustively watch the crosses back that we had, which I assume you don't, the one time we actually do get some joy from it is the McCann chance. Now the McCann chance wasn't just luck. If you look at the, the cross from the McCann chance, there's four or five players in the box for that one. You look at the rest of them. Sometimes there isn't even a player in the box. Sometimes Lafferty's pulled out. Um, or Lavery's pulled out for the cutback um, or to, to build up play. There's not even a man in the box for any of those. So, you know, the difference between, it, uh, uh, you know, ultimately it matters where the cross goes, the position of the cross at the end of the day. But if you've got four men in the box, even the confusion that creates, and should I, you know, as a defender, should I go to head it? Should I hold my position? Should I think about the second ball? It just creates all these different things. And almost I think that's part of the conservative Middle England type of attitude that Ian Barclough and his coaching staff have to all of this. And, you know, I mentioned it in the first podcast, at one point, George Saville looked like he, he could have kept a ball in play, but I think he was worried about a break if he, if, he, if, he was, if he was taken out of the play. I think players are worried to get in the box in case the, the other team break and, and have a chance. And at the end of the day, you've got five Northern Irish defenders back there against guys playing in the separate leagues. I'm not even playing in the separate leagues. I'm playing in the second division. And it's that mentality and that lack of belief that's the biggest difference between Michael O'Neill and, and Ian Barclough, in my opinion. Uh, it really do is. You, how, how do you square away, though, the idea of 
the, the, the balance of a lack of belief and just the players performing, performing poorly because we've won win in 14 competitive matches. Yeah. You know, that, that is, that is a fact, you know, we scored before this game, we had four goals and nine internationals at home. What point are we saying this is tactics and belief? And then the next part, it was just the, the, the players are just not performing. No, you could put that back to say they're not performing because of the manager yeah. or in spite, you know, well, there's no, there's no way, there's no way that the players are completely blameless. I mean, it's not, there's no, there's no way that you can say all the players are, are perfect and and it's all down to the manager. But you know, the manager is the one that picks which players are on, which which are subbed on, where they're played, and how they're used. Um, you know, and 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 it comes down to things like why the hell's Lavery playing on the right wing? You know, on the right side when he he should be through the middle. Um, you know, so there, there, there is, there is definitely blame, blame the players. Some players have not played well and have not played to their potential, but it, it comes down to the manager realizing that, picking the right ones, making the right changes, saying the right things, giving them the freedom to do do what they need to do. You know, so you can't, you can't essentially it's it's that old argument where you can't you can't get rid of every single player, but you can change the manager. Yeah, I agree with that, um, and you know, ultimately. It's a little bit like if you're running a marathon, or if you're if you're run, if you're running a really long distance, right? There's, there's this rule in running. It's called the sixty percent rule, or sorry, it's called the forty percent rule. Basically, if you're running a really long distance, the first time that you think I can't do this, I can't go on any further, you're actually only at forty percent. Now, if we bring that into as a weird analogy, if we bring that into this, these players after 40, 50 game seasons. If they get the excuses and they're told by their manager and they're allowed the excuse by their manager that your legs have fallen off, lads. You've played 40, 50 games this season. How on earth can you play a quadruple header of games? If you're told that, you'll think, hang on a minute, he's right. You know, that, that, that's why I didn't play that pass right or that's why I didn't make that decision. I'm knackered here. If you think for one second that Michael O'Neill wouldn't have put that right to their back of their minds, the first thing Michael O'Neill would have come in and said, right, lads, yes, I understand the time of these games isn't absolutely ideal, but just you remember that it's the exact same for these other boys as well. Um, and if you impose yourself on the game, then it's them who'll start getting those little things into their head. It's the, it's the opposition that will start thinking, I'm knackered here, I can't do it. And psychologically, if you do that and you, and you keep saying that to them, they'll start to believe it. And of, of course, if you're winning games, you, you know, the tiredness isn't as much of a factor anyway. Um, but that that there's just so many issues I've had with with, with what he said. And Ben, you've put something in the, in the, in the chat here a wee while ago, um, a quote from his, his post-match interview. I know that there are some sensationalists um, sensationalist of 2016 podcast here bringing you the post-match reaction and I know that they will want change at the drop of a hat uh, heard booze for Gareth Southgate even though there was no crowd there I think it's today's society at times you're frustrated and you don't get a win so you boo I mean yeah um, and that was that was the better half of what he said <laughs> yeah um, it's when you start sort of turning on the supporters like that. Well, know. here's what here's what he said. People people can boo all they like. I'm not going unless I'm told. Uh, and that is up to somebody else to make that decision. I'm proud of what the players have produced today and over the four games. It's 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 mind-boggling. We're not even going to get into it because it's, um, I, you know, he was the one that set a stall out with a 12-point comment. And we've ended up... But he's proud of two. But he's proud of two. Um yeah. I think he's just rambling at this point. I think he's just, you know, we'll not, we'll not get into it now, but he's, he's got a lot of money on the line over the next year and a half. He's not going to get a job anywhere near this caliber, anywhere near paid as much as this. 
Um, and I, I don't think he's going to walk away out of honour at this point. And probably you wouldn't either. <laughs> I, don't I don't blame him. No, I don't blame him. It's up to the IFA to take take some ownership over it. I mean, why would he walk away? Because he he's, he couldn't get a job managing Tesco's after this, you know. So he, he what, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I was going to say, what what do the IFA actually do at this point? Like what? They, what Nothing they, as usual. Well, they 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 are notoriously horrendous decision makers. Yeah. Um, but this is the this is the question. Like, what do they actually do? Are we going to be from a financial standpoint? Like, and you talked about it. He's on a half a million a year contract. You know, we're speculating on that. He's six months into eighteen months. He's got seven hundred and fifty k left. You know, mm-hmm. outstanding to be paid. Yeah. IFA from our, you know from looking at recent you know um, information they've sent out the recent communications they can't afford to 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 to, to pay that. Um, do we have to just you know, hope that we've got in theory a, a decent under twenty-one manager going to be managing the senior side for the next eighteen months. At which point, someone else is going to come in, and the transition phase is going to be even worse because Evans, Cathcart, Davis, Lafferty, etc. Again, will all be gone at that point. Yeah, well, we certainly don't have a decent under twenty-one manager to come in, do we? Based on the, the under twenty-one results this year, and, the, and the, yeah. th- this is this is my. Issue. So I mean, Barraclough being the decent under twenty-one. Oh right, right, manager. right. Okay, I thought you meant for the next eighteen months. Yeah. No, no, it's, no. Is that, it, is that Ian's brother or something? Or. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, to me, the to me the only thing that they can do now, I, I think they'll do absolutely nothing. But the only thing that they should do right now is they they budgeted that they're going to spend that money anyway. So you try and come to some sort of an agreement with them, pay them half or whatever. Um, you put Jimmy Nickel in charge until the end of this campaign, and then you look to bring in someone else, i.e. Grant McCann, for the for the years. Because why, why have another year and a half waste another waste another campaign, which will be the Euros, um, and then transition, as you say, with 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 even bigger losses. Well, I think my biggest fear at the minute is that we have to just see out a European, uh, you know, a Euro qualification campaign for the sake of it because we can't afford to pay them off. Um, and that's a massive issue with the contract that they've given him. And, and you know, I, I sort of started to say in the pre-pod, Ben, I sort of said, you know, it's difficult for them to give him a one-year contract. But you made a good point. Why not? He's not going to turn it down. You know, where's he nope. going to go on the money he's getting here, on the record he has here, on the record he has in general in his career, aside from one good campaign with the under-21s? You know, he's not getting that anywhere else. So if you offered him, if you said, look, Ian, you know, October wasn't great. We're still behind you. We still believe in you. But we really do need to see where we're at after the Nations League. If he had any sort of faith in himself, he'd say, right, well, fair enough. I'll show you I'm good enough in the Nations League. And then you'll give him a new contract for the Euros. Ian Barraclough does not have a strong negotiating, did not have a strong negotiating hand. No. With the IFA. And they've handed him a two-year contract, albeit on the same terms. But they handed him a two-year contract off sort of nothing. Um, I'm going into... I would be going into just interested in, on that, Ben, because I sort of argued for him to get some form of an extension based after the Italy. Mm. I think it was just diluted into, into the small shoots of hope that we had. If I was to, if, if I was to say to you at the end of that Italy game or at the end of maybe in October or November, if it was just you, okay, he's going to get a one-year contract, he's going to do the Nations League, and then we're going to see at the end of that, would you have been in favour of giving him that at the time? Would I have been in favour? No, because I have not felt the whole way that he was good enough. However... On the back of that, I would have understood that one year. I would have, I would have said, I can see potential reasoning, and I, it was worth the gamble, perhaps. So I wouldn't have been totally against it. It was a two-year that, that that I had a real problem with, um, but no, I still wouldn't have been in favour of it. No, fair enough. Um, do, you, do you want to say, just one thing to that, and it's interesting. During the, the 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 World Cup campaign, we didn't concede a goal at home. In the four matches, we didn't yeah. concede a goal. So defensively, we were we were we were quite sound. Okay, 
in, the, in this Nations League, okay, granted, we drew, you know, conceded uh, one at home to, 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 to Greece, three away to Kosovo, two at home to Cyprus. These are not good teams that we're playing against. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if those are the only chances that we coughed up. My concern is if you don't, there's something wrong even in our strongest area of the pitch. And I think that will come back. I would agree with both of you in terms of that is down to the manager and the decision makings, the belief, organization of what we're, we're going at. But if we're shipping that, and, and, and 18 months ago, we were the width of a post away from qualifying for the Euros. Mm-hmm. That was 18 months ago. And, and now, courtesy of, of, of the crossbar, we're scraping a victory. Um, I was just scraping a draw against Cyprus, 105th in the world or wherever the hell it is. Like there's some definite serious issues that have crept in in this period of time, which gives a lot more cause for concern, I think, to the, to the, to the previous points. Um, like even the goal we conceded today, that was Carson. Ball came back to Carson, terrible kick out, straight to their man. They win a free kick, goal. Carson hasn't made a save. The entire match, he hasn't had to make one save. He's, He's picked a bit ropey for the second goal. I mean, he, he oh, completely collapses down. You know, it's yeah. Was Bailey injured or? Yeah, he was. He was injured. He was right. Okay. You know, he's obviously convinced Luke Southwood to come in. Now, Luke Southwood's lost his place in the Redden team this season. Um, but what age is Trevor Carson now? Well, in yeah, days, 33, 34. Yeah. Well, in he's just showing St. Moran, I think, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know so what well, in two years' time, potentially Trevor Car- Trevor Carson's retired. Bailey Peacock Farrell's injured for a game. You're going to be playing. You're going to be playing Luke Southwood. So why not give him a little bit more international experience? Now I don't think he's very good. I don't think he was very good in that Luxembourg game when he played. I'm 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 not in any way convinced by him. But at the end of the day, he was championship keeper. He's probably going to be a League One keeper next season. No, we can't really turn our nose up at that. And then you know, I understand it with Trevor Carson. He's been through a lot, injuries and, and different things in his life. But you can't sort of give ten caps out of out of sympathy. You know, one here and there. Yes, I understand it, but. I didn't really understand that either. I don't understand really anything about it. And as you guys say, the 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 most concerning thing for me is the lack of high quality chances. You you think back to Michael O'Neill, that Azerbaijan game at home, right? The one all, or even the Luxembourg game at home when we when we draw one all, terrible results. Everyone was everyone was 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 terrified by by what what road we were going down when we couldn't win those games. But you remember that Azerbaijan game? We had about ten clear cut chances, and we just couldn't put the ball in the net. They were offsides. Um, you know, I think I think Lafferty was 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 caught offside a bit a record number of times in that Azerbaijan <laughs> game, but some of them he was actually onside for, and he scored the goal. Like we were battering down the hatches, and at that time, you know, the the worry was that we weren't getting these results, even though we were creating like ten high quality chances in a game. We're not even quite creating these high quality chances, and the thing that's wound me most up about this week. Um, is is the narrative of like oh well, well you know Barclough can't help Ali McCann uh, missing that chance in Cyprus in the eighty fifth minute if Ali McCann put that away that would have been daylight robbery because it was absolutely only, it was the only high quality chance we created all game um okay Kosovo was better when we're throwing the kitchen sink at it but it is the kitchen sink it's only the kitchen sink you know that that we're when we're throwing the kitchen sink at it that we're looking like we're, we can actually play and create chances that's nothing to do with tactics that's just we might as well lose 3-0 as lose 2-0 or we might as well lose 4-1 as lose 2-1. That's all that is. Um, sure, are you trying to join in your iPhone here? Do you want me to let you in on that? <laughs> yeah, all right, no worries. Um, that's okay. fine. Hold on. Um, so, so, so that, that, that's, the most, uh, that's the most frustrating thing for me. Um, it's a, lack of, high quality, it's a la- lack of high quality chances. And, you know, it's not as if we're, we're missing chance after chance after chance. That was what was happening in the last Nations League under Michael. It's not what's happening now. We're getting what we deserve. <laughs> I thought one of Stuart was bad enough. Don't be letting the other one in. 
Thanks, All right, ben. let's do some comments because we've done about 45 minutes here and everyone's switched off me now anyway. So Owen Miller says, we are the sum of, we are always the sum of our parts and the manager is the one who leads, motivates, jails and dictates what the sum is. The current manager simply doesn't have a magic touch to bring it all together, I'm afraid. As Northern Ireland fans, we need passion and determination from the sidelines. Barra provides neither. Naomi Fox says, last minutes were sent. Johnny Evans getting the draw was good. Northern Ireland never make it easy for ourselves. James Adair, if we had have lost that, it might have been led the IFA calling Barclough a taxi. Now, though, we just have to wait until his contract is up. Timmy Scott, massively papered over the cracks, outplayed at home for 70 minutes by one of the poorest sides in Europe. We only looked like we had any clue after we were two down. Been the dreadful pass and si- passive system and three men forward. He has to go. Uh, Roger Irvine is quite a long one, but we'll, we'll do it anyway. I wonder how the players feel about the manager. I honestly think he's demotivating. Johnny Evans had his first cap against Spain, played brilliantly, and the manager backed him and played him consistently. We haven't had a decent natural right back in a while, meaning Dallas has been missing for us further up the pitch where he can influence the game more. Why not stick with Bradley and put faith in him? Yeah, I'm really surprised that Bradley hasn't got more than yeah. one start in this. Uh, McCann nowhere to be seen and starting an 18-year-old centre-back in midfield against Cyprus. Um, if McCann isn't fit then surely it's Thompson who starts. He can pick a pass and has a good delivery. Lafferty offered nothing yet again and instead he brings off Lavery, who's clearly our best shout for a goal playing through the middle, not in the wing. Sorry, just not good enough. IFA will lose a lot of revenue as fans vote with their feet. Someone else needs to be given a chance. He followed that up with, also, why wait until the second goal to make the substitution during the applause for our legend, Billy? Surely there's an awareness to do this before or after the applause. Yeah, I, I thought that was, you know, there was supposed to be an applause in the 58th minute. Um, and it ended up being a, a, a boo for the decision to take Lavery off. Um, now I don't yeah, know. If, stupid. No, I don't know if that there was anything. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything to that, or, or if he's, you know. I, don't, I, don't think we can really I suppose, in his fairness, he, if he's the manager, although he doesn't react quickly at, at, at times, but I suppose all he's focused on at that point is the match, and yeah. maybe he doesn't realise. Yeah, it, it's tight enough to, to, to criticise him for that. I suppose uh, we'll go on to Twitter. Um, What's the actual plan? We didn't do anything for 70 minutes. Then last 20, it was kitchen sink. I 100% believe we should be beating teams like Cyprus and at least given it a game, Kosovo and Greece. Right now, we're on course for Group D. Brutal to think. Uh, James Wilkins says, 2-2 at full-time, not good enough. Come back or not. Need change over the summer and give the new manager a bit of time to settle in. Before this break, I optimistically thought we were nailed on for the Euros, but it's been abysmal. Craig, <laughs> Craig says, he has to go. Unacceptably two down at home with Cyprus, regardless of the final result. Um, I'm going to say... Sam Gordon, only one thought, cheerio in, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Cal says, Barra's lack of acknowledgement to us at the end says it all, he's done. Emma Walker, shame we only started to play with 20 minutes to go. Uh, if we started with that urgency, the result may have been different. Yeah, um, the manager's position is untenable at this point, but they're not going to do anything. I think, I think we've said everything we need to say. Any other sort of positives for today? I mean, the young players are positive. It does look like we've good young players coming through, but they're the same young players that would be coming through under any manager, wouldn't they? Um, so, and any other business before we, we wrap it up at this point? I think we've... Billy Bingham, just a wee bit. Oh, of course, yes, of course. Sorry, as, as I said, we'd do a little bit on Billy Bingham before um, before the mm. end. Yeah, well, Ben, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, he's probably... Well, he's, he's certainly... The World Cups Billy Bingham played at, and that Billy Bingham's time as manager is probably well, certainly outside my lifetime. Um, I'm not sure if you remember anything about the teams that he, he managed. I was I was born in '88, mate, so it's also just before my time, really. Um, but obviously, having read read a fair bit about him and, and seen a bit, obviously know what a legend he is and what he's done for Northern Irish football. Um, and you know, 
it's obviously a sad loss, but you know, a great great life and contributed a massive amount to us and will be remembered. Completely, Stuart. Yeah, it's um, for for those who are, who are sort of into their history, and I know you're very into the the, the history of, the, of Northern Irish football. And mm. you know, we're, I can't quite find the stats I tweeted out the other night, but we're still, for example, the the smallest country ever to, to qualify from the group of the World Cup, the smallest country to ever be yep. the hosts. Uh, at a World Cup, the smallest country to ever reach the quarterfinals of the World Cup and back in 58 when he was a player. Um, as a player and as a manager, there's probably nobody who has had as great an impact on Northern Irish football as Billy Bingham, I think it's fair to say. I think he's one of the best Irish managers, or the, one of the best managers in the history of any Irish sport. Um, I think he is he is that good. you know. And I think one of the brilliant things about him is the connection he has, not just he was successful, he won a championship in England with Everton, but he came from the Irish League he then coached in the Irish League uh, as well as his achievements. And, you know, in a select group of, of managers that have qualified for two World Cups, a select group of managers that have played and qualified to World Cups, as a, you know, played in the World Cup as a, uh, you know, obviously as a player and, and, and managed his, his country through it as well. Like, that's incredible, you know, to be able to, to have done that. And, you know, again, very, very close to qualifying for the Euros in 1984. The only team to ever beat West Germany home and away that's right, yeah. in qualifying. And, you know, what he did was incredible. Um, you could argue maybe did he stay on a bit longer than he, he should have, you know, towards the end of his international career. But again, you know, he did some incredible, incredible stuff. I actually was quite lucky. I was present for one of his games as a coach, Latvia 1993. It was the only time I was actually physically in the stadium when Billy Bingham was coaching. So oh, it was brilliant. You know, incredible uh, history, incredible achievements for a country so small. And uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's sad, you know, that, that, that he's passed, but obviously 90, 90 years old is, is, is some going still. Yeah, it's a good innings. It's a good innings indeed. Yeah, so just um, from, sort of from all of us here at the Spirit of 2016 podcast, like obviously massively thoughts go out to his, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to his family at this difficult time. Um, phenomenal man, phenomenal impact on on Northern Irish sport and uh, things that we we still chant uh, we still chant about to this day. You know, <laughs> Billy Bingham first played a game for Northern Ireland in the 1950s um, and to this day we still sing about, about World Cups we've been at and Espanya 82 and even qualifying 1986. <laughs> No, those were the those were the absolute glory days, and obviously Michael's somewhat brought some of that back. But I think when you look at the 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 individual records, it's hard to argue that that Billy Bingham is certainly uh, the greatest manager in Northern Irish football in history. So yeah, thoughts with him, and obviously a very difficult time. Um, but hopefully, you know, there can be a, a lovely little celebration of his life, and I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the, the content that's coming out around that. Some of the journalists have done some brilliant yep. stuff around that as well. Really, really yep. good. Go and read about it. Um, and hopefully sort of over the next week or so, we can look back at that and the memories he gave us or, or certainly not memories for me, but um, things I can look at and things that my, my dad and granddad can tell me about. And yes, just uh, just just a phenomenal man, a phenomenal manager. Andy, there's a really good book, by the way. Um, it came out years ago. It's things called Six Glorious Years by a chap called Ronnie Hanna. Uh, which uh, covers the, the period of 1980 to 1986. I mean, the whole cha- the home championship wins, the two qualifications for the World Cup in that Euro 84 uh, qualifying campaign as well. It's a really, really good read if anyone gets their hands on it. It's a really good uh, you know, snapshot into that, that, that period of our history as well. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I didn't know about that, actually, so I'll have to get on that myself. But uh, listen, we'll wrap it up there. I've done quite a bit. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Stuart. That's when you post Cyprus podcast. I think we're all quite happy for this international break to be over. But we will come back in September and we'll find some way of giving you some optimism about this campaign 
and the campaign coming up. Uh, thanks for all your support over this um, this campaign. Thanks to everyone who's contributed, especially you, Ben, who's done all four post-match shows, which is uh, not easy, not least after you've had an operation yourself. So really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, nice one to everyone. All the best. See you later. Bye-bye.